1: Welcome back to Full Throttle. Sorry we've been off for a while. We've been very busy here at Eurosport with the Olympic Games. Well, I'm delighted to say we are back in action. And I'm even more delighted to say that Mr. James Tozen brought a chocolate bar to the commentary box today. So we've just gone off air for Navarra World Superbikes and he's donated me half a chocolate bar. We'll be listening in a moment to Top Rack Oglu, Jonathan Ray and Scott Redding. There's a great little magic moment coming up later in the show as well. But first of all, James, I mean, what a weekend. We are level pegging. Toprak and Ray are level on points going to MagniCourt in a couple of weekends time.
2: Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You know, just exactly halfway through the season and to be, to be level pegging on the points just shows you and the consistency of the podiums as well we're not level points because a few riders have, uh, have made a lot of mistakes you know mm. we, we've seen top rack uh, taken out of have we? we've seen a couple of crashes from Johnny which are quite uncharacteristic, but uh, uh, other than that, it's just because the guys have been swip, swapping those podium positions around consistently and with the three different manufacturers and the three different riders they're putting on a great show for us.
1: Certainly are it's exactly the sort of variety the world Superbike championship needs, isn't it? What stood out for you most this weekend? There's a lot to talk about. We talked about a lot on the telly, didn't we? We've commentated on practice, qualifying, and the races. The news going into the weekend, of course, was Scott Reading and BMW, wasn't it? A surprising move, I think it's fair to say.
2: Yeah, it is surprising. As, as the current form shows of the, of the bikes, you wouldn't necessarily uh, let go a race-winning package uh, of the factory Ducati, would you? But... You can't underestimate just what a a family and a circus, uh, a travelling circus that is the World Superbike Paddock. And once the relationships break down to a certain point within teams, it is like a relationship that breaks down. If it goes past a certain point and then uh, the belief uh, and the respect goes from either party, and it looks like both parties have... There's no going back, unfortunately, and it looked like it got to that point, which is a shame for us. It's a shame for us fans. It's a shame for us commentating on it because there's not many riders that have the talent and the bike to be able to challenge Johnny Ray in these championships that he's won six consecutive ones of. Uh, and, and, you know, Scott Redding on a Ducati has a chance. Scott Redding on a BMW has much less of a chance. And uh, for us, we, we all we want is competitive racing at the front, don't we? So that's, that's the worry for us.
1: Talking about Redding and Ducati, first of all, then, since that's been announced, he's come out and won a couple of races. He's finished second in the other one. I wonder what the mood is inside the camp now. Do they not all come back in and look at each other and shrug their shoulders and think, what have we done? And this has got nothing to do with BMW, r- irrelevant of where he's going. Let's just focus on Reading and Ducati first. Are they not looking at each other thinking, why have, we, why have we done this? Why have we parted company?
2: Because the relationship's broken down. The, the criticism... The criticisms that that Scott's been putting on Giacchetti's uh, table, um, they fall on deaf ears with Fat Giacchetti. You know they really do. You know they've been winning superbike championships for a long, long time. I know they haven't won for 10 years with Carlos Checker, but the factory Ducati team and that V4, I know the bosses. I used to ride for them, and I know the bosses are very, very confident that if they get the better, or if they get a winning rider on the bike, the bike will win. So you've got to be really careful if you do ride for that factory team to criticize to a certain level, Mm. because uh, in the end, you've got to remember that they believe in their product completely. So if, if it's not winning, whose fault is it? It's yours, and, that, and that's is, though, a
1: problem. It is winning, isn't it? He's just won two races and finished second, a narrow second, in the other one. So,
2: you know, Scott's just backed up what Ducati's um, doubts were, and uh, that's why Ducati's let him go because, you know, Ducati underneath it all know that the bike can have those performances and Scott's just proven it. So it's it's not, it's not been a great weekend for Scott really to kind of back up why he's left. <laughs> and this is why I hope the BMW is going to be strong because, you know, like Vandermark, you know, going from Yamaha to BMW, you know, he had eight podiums and one win on the Yamaha. So far he's had one podium. And if you were in a bar talking to Vandermark, you know, and you said, would you still prefer to be on a Yam or, or the BM, right? And I know I don't think it'd take too many shandies for him to actually admit that uh, life was a little bit easier to have, get better results on a Yamaha. And you know I I've, I hope that BMW's development in Schumi's team, uh, and I hope because everybody's putting 100% in, in into that project, they must be because to have the funding to be able to get Vandermark and Scott Redding on your bikes that ain't cheap, and that means that BMW are investing heavily here for the success. So they wouldn't be investing on the best riders in the paddock if they weren't thinking about and had the objections to, to give them the best package and the best bike. So I hope that the package comes together for everybody and they can start getting into that, that podium positions consistently. But to, you know, at the minute, Tom's
1: beating Vandermark consistently as well. So I don't know if they've made the right decision on who to even drop. Yeah, it's all a bit confusing, isn't it? If we just go back to Reading for a second, um, some people might say, well, people are saying in the paddock and on Twitter and all over the place, um, Ducati dominates everything with Battista, and then he leaves. Reading wins BSB with them. They finished second to Jonathan Ray in their first season on the world stage. He's right up there again this year now with the way things have gone and he's leaving. Should someone at Ducati, in fairness to the riders, should someone at Ducati be saying, what, what are we doing? Can't, you know, because they haven't won the title for 10 years. Do they need to listen more to the riders? Oh,
2: that's the balance, isn't it? Of, mm. of having the arrogance uh, of your complete 100% belief in your product and not listening to the rider's criticisms at all.
1: Because just to add into this, Chaz Davis didn't really have a good word to say about them. And that's on the record. He said that in podcasts. He said that uh, to the written press as well. Jorge Lorenzo, Casey Stoner. You know, it's not the first time we've heard a rider being quite outspoken about Ducati. I'm not saying it's right, but it's definitely not the first time it's happened.
2: No, they've got history. And it's because of the belief that they have in their product. If you ride for them, you've got to really... If you're having problems, you can make suggestions on how uh, they. you think that the Ducati should be developing in the factory and at the racetrack. But you can't criticise them in a fashion that they're a bunch of idiots. Almost, I, and that's that's me saying that as as uh, just like uh, just to kind of put the point across that that's what they're feeling. That that you know you're 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 saying that they don't really know what they're doing. Well, that's offensive to them. Right, it is personal. It is very personal, isn't it? And this is why the relationships broke down because it feels like Scott's got to the point where he's questioned them on that level, and they're adamant that there's not a problem with the V4 Ducati, and uh, if we had a different rider on, it would win races. Uh, And uh, you know, if you feel like that, if you think we're idiots, you can find another place. And and they've done that with other riders. And you know, you've got to say, um, of course, there's a compromise. In any relationship, there's a compromise on, yeah. on, on that. And uh, it doesn't look like Ducati compromises that much.
1: But do they have no. to? That's the question. Yeah, I suppose it is the question. Um, okay, so BMW then. Reading's gone to BMW. We had a few shenanigans, haven't we, over the weekend involving BMW and various tweets. There's a lot of different opinions from a lot of different people. Uh, what have BMW got to do, though, to win it? Okay, they've got two what they consider world-class riders. We know Scott Redding's a world-class rider, don't we? Look what he's doing. However, it's not just about the riders, is it? So what are BMW going to have to do to get it together to be regularly on the podium and winning races? Let's just remind ourselves, and the facts don't lie, BMW haven't won a world superbike race since 2013 with Chas Davis at the Nürburgring. So that's quite some time.
2: It is. It is. It's too long, especially with the amount of investment that's gone into it. You know, incomparable to to the manufacturers that are being successful I remember when you know my latter years, the amount of money that the BMW team were pumping into it was like double the budget, if not more, than Ducatis and Kawasaki's and Yamahas and Hondas etc. And they still really? that much, yes, double. double, yeah, and they still couldn't clinch the championship. They did oh. very well. They got race wins with Melandry and all the rest of it etc. When when they had the factory team here. But uh, yeah, since since Sean's taken it on, it obviously has some fundamental flaws. Oh, the, the, it's production racing, right? Let's just take all of the the, the 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 super bikes out of the crates. You would have to say that the BMW R right, I is 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 one of the best standard form. It yes. always has been. Yeah, always one of the most powerful bikes out of the crate yep. and the most technology. Uh, uh, really, or as much technology as anything else.
1: Yeah, look so, how well it goes in the superstock classes.
2: Yes. So, so what's happening? What's what is the what's happening from the production standard model that they're doing to get it up to a superbike spec that they're doing wrong? I know maybe one thing with the electronics. I, I think they're still running the Bose electronics, right? Not the Magneti Marelli. Uh,
1: I believe they. I think you're right. Yes, I believe they are, aren't they? Because there was a lot of talk about them potentially switching. They were on that Bosch system, weren't they? And Bosch which system, was yeah, very sorry. different to. Um, to the others a bit like when 10 Carter used to run um, a Cosworth ECU didn't they when mm. it was Honda Motor Europe, yeah, there are a few differences, aren't there? There are, and, and you know, electronics
2: are so important at the minute. So, if you're trying to design electronic system independently, and it, it's not mm. a small company, they'll have some very, very intelligent people that's working on that. Yeah. Um, but you know, the 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 amount of time that Magneti Marelli has been in the paddock, and not only work with teams, but more importantly, have worked with Pirelli tyres. Because it's the relationship with the electronics and the torque curve of the bikes with the grip that you've got in all kinds of conditions. The Magneto Morelli seems a little bit more advanced. But uh, I'd have to double check to see if they haven't changed. But I, I know for quite a long time that was a bit of an Achilles heel for BMW. But uh, there's so many different components. You know, there's the suspension company from Showa to Olin's uh, uh, to, to, uh, to the WP, and et cetera, et cetera. They're on different
1: brakes as well, aren't they? Most of the paddock are on Brembo and those factory BMWs are on Nissan. Mm-hmm. So that's not a, a bad reflection on Nissan. However, there's a lot more data in the paddock with Brembo because more people are using them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've won on Brembo and I've won on Nissan. Um, so, uh, but like you say, it's all these factors, you know, in, in, in compiled together. That's what's just maybe eking out this... I mean this weekend they were like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, even 0. 0.8 of a second a lap off every single lap mm. which is which is not an easy task to close down. If you're 0. 0.2 or 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4, you know that's that's just a click here and there and, and just maybe you know turning up um, and and being on it for the week and without too many differences or the track suits you. Yeah. But 0. 0.8 is definitely something on the bike that's a miss that they need to find.
1: Well, there's a lot to talk about for silly season as well. But first of all, let's just listen to the top three. We've had the same three on the podium. Slightly different order as the weekend's gone on. Jonathan Ray's had second, second, third. Reddings had first, first, second. And Toprak's had third, third, first. That's right, isn't it? I think that's the top three over the weekend. And Toprak and Ray are now level on points at the top of the standings. They caught up with Charlie Hiscock.
3: Another great ride there. Scott rounding off a fantastic weekend. Very well done. No, I'm happy with that. Um, I Like I said, I some somewhat almost every time I, I go on the bike. Um, I just didn't have the momentum and the feeling with the bike like yesterday, same as the Super Bowl race, and then I thought it would get better this afternoon, but it was the same. Um, so I couldn't maximise the potential of my bike. You know, I couldn't pass in the straight. Um, just because I was making the same corner the same as them, I couldn't do my own style. So I had to be patient, wait, try to keep a bit of a gap to not keep the tire temperature up. Playing with the maps like a computer game, find a rhythm. Um, and I just stayed there, you know, I didn't want to over push because it was uh, very easy to make mistakes. Um, second's better than third. It's not as good as first, but you know, I'll take that as a real positive weekend. Um, and I got to learn that race two tends to be faster than race one. So that's what I learned today. It took me again a little bit by surprise. But we're here to learn, you know, close the gap in the championship, which is important, and um, happy. Well done, Top Rack, what a brilliant ride! Very well done, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, not easy race, but also i feeling bike uh, much better, and also bumping, i feeling bike soft, and very good ride. Right? I try just uh, uh, good lap time, consistent lap time, and also I'm I, I feeling Johnny
2: uh, a try coming with me but uh, I understand after laps uh, also I see them, my board uh, I I see the gap
3: and I ride much relaxed, and I'm really happy uh, <laughs> you ask <laughs> um, We go to MagniCore next um, you are level on points with Jonathan uh, you like MagniCore don't you?
0: My favourite track MagnaCore and you know uh, you remember about uh, 2019 my first win
2: in uh, MagniCore uh, I hope no rain but i
3: i try also uh, three win but we will see brilliant job this weekend madam thank you very much see you yeah, I just didn't have it in that race. You know, them guys um, had a lot better rhythm, especially at the end. I was I was in trouble, you know, last sort of 10 laps. I could I could feel with top rack I was just being there. I, I was much faster in uh, four, five, six, seven, this sector, but he was just better everywhere else, you know. So huge kudos to him and Scott. They did a really good race today and, um, yeah, work to do for us. Hopefully we can uh, bounce back in Manicou.
1: There we go. Well, Reading, first of all, because we've already spoken about him, world-class. I mean, what a world-class performance that was. What a way to respond to some of the criticism he's had over recent weeks.
2: A couple of rounds ago, it looked like uh, he was going to be struggling to, to stay with uh, the Johnnies and the top racks of this world and, and challenge for this championship. But, you know, the first six races in the top two. Uh, And that, uh, you know, the two wins and the second today. Um, And that's the kind of performances that you need to have week in, week out to beat Johnny Ray. You know, Johnny Ray's podium uh, position percentage is over 80%. So you have to have these kind of performances that Scott's putting in to have any chance of beating him. And he knows that. But after like just over a year now that he's been in this World Superbike paddock from BSB, It just looks like now he's actually settling in to understanding that fact and riding a certain way, making the certain decisions before each race, the tyre choice that he's been doing. Now the Ducati can do a race on the A tyre, right? You know, all of these things are just starting to slot into place and then he's getting the confidence that he can get the better of him and that is huge at this halfway point.
1: Just in time to leave at the end of the season and have to learn it all over again in some ways with BMW. Uh, There you go. (laughs) <laughs> I, I wish them luck, honestly. I, if if Scott Redding can come out on a BMW and win, it's, it is it is tremendous for World Superbike, but it's, I just think it's going to take time, isn't it, as you say. Um, top rack, we've said it before. Hopefully, we won't need to say it again, but grid position cost him. He was eighth on the grid, James, for the first two races. Look what happens when he starts on the front row. He comes out on, and wins. We always say it, don't we? Those few minutes in Super Bowl on a Saturday will very much in many ways decide the championship this year. Yeah, that's
2: uh, definitely where top rack needs to improve, we, we, we've kind of talked about Scott keeping his head and keeping that consistency and that composure mm. that's one thing Scott's kind of looks like now, they, now the uh, contract's signed with BMW and, and his engagement's out of the way, it looks like all of that, that was on his mind, and Brad as well unfortunately we know. we're know we keeping track of that as well he's had a lot to think about and maybe with a few things out of the way he's just been able to get that composure back, but yes, top rack's issue is qualifying Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a massive issue he has been on the front row a couple of times hasn't he but it's just the yep. consistency again and this is why Johnny Ray puts the others under so much pressure you've got to finish on the podium and you've got to qualify on the first two rows
1: yeah and, and of course Donington Toprak started 13th wasn't it and did charge through and, and won the race but it was mixed conditions he took advantage of the situation that doesn't usually happen does it he did it at Magna cours actually in mixed conditions as well back in uh, 2019 yeah. but normally that doesn't happen and on a track like Navarra as we've seen this weekend it's so bumpy it's so difficult to pass all those slow corners. Cutting through the pack was not easy was it and even when he did get to third the top 2 were gone by there.
2: He has a very unique uh, setting on the bike cuz so so strong on the front on the front fork to be enable him to 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 brake like he does. Mm. And in race format for, for the consistency and the overtaking which is going to be uh, really it's going to be a positive for those for those areas yeah. but it might not be the setup that you need to get full grip on the side of the tyre when you're trying for a qualifying lap because mm. a hard stiff front end usually means you're not going to get the best side grip of the tyre on the front which might just hinder a little bit of the corner speed because when you have it so strong on the front what you do is you tend to triangle everything off so you late break you stop it in the middle of the corner and you fire it back out the other end but in qualifying you need to cut co- you need to combine the corner speed as well as con corner- and as, as squaring things off yeah. and you might just be losing a little bit of mid corner speed there to get those extra couple of tenths to get him on those first two rows but uh, you know the Yamaha team and phil is chief engineer they're very very experienced they'll be able to see where he's losing on the other guys and if that's the case then they might have to just get a bit of a compromise setting for qualifying compared to the race
1: Aragoni had uh... A lot of bad luck as well, didn't he? If you remember in Super Bowl, he lost his best lap there because he ran down the green painted area on the back straight. I remember James Whittam in the commentary saying that's a bit ridiculous because he's not gained an advantage there. However, the rules are the rules. He was on the green painted area, but it did put him back again to a four, row four or five. Uh, Jonathan Ray, then we've never seen him having to ride on at least on a Kawasaki, how he's riding now, have we? It's incredible to watch. I mean, I, I don't know how he's doing it. Another big save, two in the race this afternoon. And another one on Saturday. He's absolutely on the ragged edge of adhesion, isn't he? Do you think he's having to push even harder now than than the others did when he had a bike advantage? Because he doesn't have the top speed advantage he used to have. It just looks like he's so close to crashing at almost every corner. I never thought we'd say that about Jonathan Ray.
2: Um, I've only done a few races with Eurosport and yourself, Greg, this this year. uh, And I've not really watched with such intensity to every single race over the past six years where Johnny's been a champion. I can tell you now, the first three or four races that I've been able to do and watch this, like like we have been doing with the commentary, I can completely see why he's a six times world champion. That is a fact, you know. To ride that close to the edge, lose the front three times, still finish on the podium on the with the slowest bike out of his competitors, with with quite a margin actually. That Kawasaki. Not so much the acceleration off the corner; it still gets off the corner, which is so so important. Because if he had the horsepower um, deficit in that fourth and fifth, fifth, sixth gear that he has on the Ducati, a little bit on the Yamaha, but it's mainly the Ducati that I've seen. Oh, it it would be a a very very difficult task for Johnny to compete with those two guys this year. Uh, and the way that he's doing it, you know, and the saves that he's making, and how much he is pushing, it's incredible to watch. And like I say, uh, I can I can clearly see why now he's been so how he's been so so, so yeah. successful.
1: You think Magni corps should be better with some of those sweeping long corners like uh, Estoril and the Golf King? That Karasaki goes well, doesn't it, through the sweepers, but Navarra doesn't really have any. They're all slow corners, aren't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, in core you've got the two really tight hairpins and then yeah. onto quite long straights where you'd have to say that uh, you know the Kawasaki on those first gear corners, that acceleration, seems to put the power down a little bit easier because maybe with the less horsepower, less power going through the rear wheel, it finds a little bit more traction. And then you can go forwards a little bit better in those lower gears, the first and seconds. But, you know, out of the turn three and four at Core, down that long, long straight with the kink, obviously the, uh, the Ducati will come into its own. But again different tracks. Magnicor is going to be a completely different time of the year this year in August. It's always been in October and always been horribly cold and rainy ever since I was racing in the championship. So it's going to be interesting to see what setup changes they're going to have to make with a hot Magnicor. Well, it's still France, It still could be
4: yeah. 10
1: degrees maybe in
4: August <laughs> because we never
2: know what we do at the minute with the climate. But uh, yeah. you'd have to say it's going to be much warmer than usual.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? This COVID situation is awful as it has been and still is for so many people at least one positive we can try and take from an awful situation is that it's shaken up things in the championship hasn't it i know that's uh, not important at all you know in the grand scheme of things but at least it's something isn't it we've got new circuits different circuits hosting races at different times of the year and it has shaken up the championship there's no doubt about that
2: It has to race in spain in august with over 50 degrees tra- track temperature is is uh, on on the limits of uh, of you know of 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 what uh, of what these bikes and tires can cope with um, you know, MagniCore is not going to be anywhere near the problem uh, unless we have the heat wave that uh, so many have suffered from it in Europe. They've had uh, over forty degrees, haven't they, in some places with uh, with Cyprus and Turkey, etc. With the fires, it's been absolutely awful. But, uh, uh, but yes, um, it seems quite trivial, really, about just trying to get some Pirelli tyres to work on a racetrack compared to the world's issues at the minute. But uh, it certainly gives it a lot more um, uh, the teams a lot bigger and tyre manufacturers uh, a lot a lot to think about of the differences that is going to kind of uh, crop up for them.
1: We've got a magic moment coming up in a second. Just before that, though, what about Andrea Locatelli? Four, four, four. He'd already had podiums earlier in the season and top fives in the last uh, nine races, I think it is now. That guy. I mean, bearing in mind the limited testing they have now, James and the crew chief uh, Andrew Pitt. They speak in Italian. They're really good friends as well. Very much like Pere Arriba and Jonathan Ray. That's incredible, after what he did in World Supersport last year as well. What a rider. He is a star of the future, isn't he? He definitely is. Exactly
2: the same age as Top Rack, 24 and on the same birthday. Yes. Um, but obviously Top has got the extra couple of years of experience. But uh, a young kid... Italian, he dominated last year, very deserved to come up to super bikes. I was a little bit surprised that the factory team took him on straight away and not, uh, you know, obviously Girl or of Nazani's th- team um, there, but because he was so, so dominant in super sport, the potential that he did show, uh, I'm very, very pleased that it's worked out for Yamaha because that was, that was a bit of a risk to put him on the factory bike compared to the girl offs of, the, of this world or whoever's available, you know, that's, a, that's an established experience Superbike rider um it's it doesn't happen very often where super sport riders get a chance on a factory bike straight away but i tell you what he's grabbed it by the horns honey. and fair play to the lad i'm not gonna be brave enough to give him the wooden spoon award for all his fourth places at the minute <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah you know the podium's awesome it's just kicked him off on it and you know it's brilliant to see and he is a star of the future
1: and amazingly, amazingly, no World Supersport champion has ever gone on to win the World Superbike title as well, which is quite incredible considering World Supersport goes back to 1997. I wonder if he could be the first one day. Might have to wait for Jonathan. Well, I was that's probably doing Andrea a disservice. I was going to say, maybe it'll have to be after Jonathan retires. But even when if it happens, whenever it happens, that would be a nice bit of history to make.
2: But it just shows you how much confidence that Yamaha had in him. Because that history yes. that you just reeled off there, mm. that, that sticks Mm. And all the managers that, that are employing these riders in that paddock have yeah. been round of the whole era of yeah. these championships. Yeah. And they know the super sport champions don't win Superbike Championships. Yeah. So fair play to Andrea Dorsley and, 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 and every Herbie and everybody in Yamaha for actually going, oh, hang on a minute, this kid looks different. Yeah. And um, I'm really pleased that Andrea is repaying them for that uh, the, for that trust in him. And, uh, the, the, and also is going to be a fabulous asset to top rack coming into this second half of the season because Alex Lowe's doesn't look like he's going to support Johnny and Ronaldo definitely doesn't look like he's going to support Scott Redding so if you're going to need a teammate to take a couple of points off somebody exactly. is looking good
1: exactly if we got top right winning races with Locatelli second and then Jonathan Ray or Redding or, or whoever it might be yeah that really could decide the championship uh, Ducati's back in the lead of the manufacturers now by the way Yamaha second Kawasaki third totally unexpected let's talk about silly season but first of all a quick magic moment. Let's have a listen into what we've got this week.
4: Hi, Greg, it's Jack Nixon here. And my magic moment would have to go back to 2019 at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Um, it was the final race of the British Talent Cup in that season and also the final race of the Talent Cup in that original format um, run mainly by Dorner. Um, so I think everyone wanted to make a really good impression Obviously racing was hard, it was really close as well. There was uh, five of us in the fight for the win. I think the the main contenders, me, Scott Ogden, Cameron Horsman and Fenton Seabright as well. Um, and it came down to the last lap, it was switching positions constantly and I even came together with Scott at one point. Ended up with a load of rubber down my back from where we'd uh, hit each other but made a big move into Woodcourt, I think it is the second to last corner and um, passed two people and took the lead and then also took the win and um, that's I'd say one of the more pivotal moments in my career, obviously being on the podium at the British Grand Prix, not something many people get to do, so in front of all the fans and the crowd, it was, really, it was a really good moment for me and um, I'd also struggled with injury throughout that season, so to finish the season on a high like that was great and really set me up well for the next season as well. So when I think of my magic moment, that's the first one that springs to mind and also with obviously a bit of a fight in there with Scott Ogden. Uh, always funny to look back and watch the race from a few, from a few years ago. So yeah, that has to be the one for me.
1: Uh, Jack Nixon there, a very close mate of uh, Jake Dixon. Jack Nixon up there this year uh, leading the way in the British Junior Superstock Championship. And that was an incredible race, that talent-cut race alongside the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. See if you can watch it back. It is on YouTube. It was amazing stuff, 2019. Right, silly season then, James. By the time this podcast goes out... I reckon we might have had a few announcements. We may well have had Bautista confirmed at Ducati. It looks like it's going that way. But as we record it, Sunday evening, it's just coming up to four o'clock Spanish time, three o'clock UK time. Let's just go at, you know, how things are at the moment. We can only say what's happening based on the uh, current moment in time. Bautista to Ducati. I suppose it looks like it's going to happen. That's what most people in the paddock are saying. Is that an uh, admittance though from Ducati's part that they got it wrong to let him go the first time?
2: Oh, you've got to weigh up your options, and let's weigh up the options. What you got? You've got uh, um, Laquona, possibly, Petrucci, possibly. Yeah. Uh, any BSB lads? Irwin? Mm. Brooks? No. Probably not. Not the current form. That's Eden? it. Mm. You know, And also the British boys, uh, from what I've seen of, of, of the list, very, very little experience on European tracks. And, and global tracks. Yeah, you know, and and as we said before
1: testing so limited. Yeah, now. And ten
2: days—that's all yeah. you've got.
1: Yeah. Ten days, yeah. and
2: it's—it's it's a huge, huge disadvantage to not know the tracks at all. Rossi, and, Rossi to <laughs> <cat> return? <laughs> oh,
1: well, we wish.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. We wish. Yeah. Now, I, I think Rossi is going to go to four-wheel racing and be and uh, and uh, have a bit safer, of becoming a father. And yeah. uh, congratulations to him and Francesca. Actually, they just uh, announced the other day that they're going to have a little baby girl. So, congratulations to them. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, um, yeah, Bautista. He was at least as successful as Scott at this point in his Ducati career. You'd have to say, you know, arguably um, around the same kind of level, right? Yeah. Ducati have got a little bit of a thought that the smaller riders are a little bit easier on the V4 as the issues that it does have that the rider needs to have. And, you know, that, a bit contradictory this weekend with how big Scott is. Um,
1: but yeah, when you consider Rinaldi struggling.
2: And Rinaldi struggling. Yeah. But it it was only a couple of races before this that it didn't look that way. And this is exactly. the problem with motorcycle racing. It changes, doesn't it, so mm. quickly. But but they need a, they need a banker. You know, yeah, Rinaldi's not a banker. You can't rely on him now to take the mantle and to go and head to head with Johnny Ray. It's obvious now. Yeah, okay, if the championship was thirteen rounds around Misano, you know, no problem. But uh, on the other tracks, he's looking pretty weak compared, you know, compared to the Locatellis of this world. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, on on such a good bike. So, uh, and that's no disrespect to Rinaldi, but it just looks like he's struggling to show the performance levels that Giacchetti could rely on him. Now, now Scott's going. So, Bautista's a safe bet. And LaQuona, look at you know he's not really race production bikes. You know the difference of production bikes compared to Moto Twos and Moto GPS. Um, it's a different ball of kettle of fish. Look at Tito Rabat, you know, and and the rest of them. Different struggles. Brad, yeah, it's it's they're specialists. The super bike riders are specialists. The, the Moto GP bikes are, uh, riders are specialists, and they can they've got used to riding those bikes to their limits. So uh, I can understand it. Going back to the Ducatis, I can understand why they're doing a safe bet. Going back to Bautista, do
1: you know we always talk about that Ducati having a really thin operating window james but just to throw this one at you why why do some bikes have a thin as a guy who doesn't ride a bike i'm not a mechanic i'm not an engineer why is it that some bikes have a really thin narrow window to get the setup right and others seem to be more adaptable like i would say the yamaha or the kawasaki why why is that
2: many, many things, the the flexibility of the chassis and the suspension and the brakes you were talking about, combined with the electronics uh, and and obviously the tires, it's all about how much horsepower you have. And the grip of the tires to be able to push as much horsepower through those tires as possible with the with the with the natural ability of the bike with the stiffness of the chassis and the electronics to have such a a relationship altogether to to manipulating those things and getting the best out of all those things combined right and that is not an easy task for any manufacturer to. To do, and obviously the V4, the inertia of that V4 engine, with the stiffness of the chassis, the single swinging arm that you see on the Ducati, the others don't have a single swinging arm. Is it something to do with seeing Tito Rabat's team trying to alter it? Is it something to do with that? But it it's something to do with all of it, if I'm Mm. honest. But it's the marriage, and if you can get the ingre, you need to get the ingredients exactly right. And Ducati just don't have the ingredients exactly right for me. And if the weather's a bit hot, or if it's a bit windy, or if the track layout is a bit uh, too long on. Uh, two longer apexes instead of the hairpins etc 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 weather uh, conditions Weather. Yeah, everything if, if, if it's just not on song it's it's a difficult job
1: what about people management as well because all of us through life go through different jobs you know regardless of what the job is it's, it's a fact that if you work with people you don't really like or the working hours aren't to your liking or you're it's too far to get there from home or whatever. All these things have a, a bearing, don't they? And is it fair to say that people like Reba and Ray, with the way they manage people and all motivate each other in the bad times, as much as the good ones, are Ducati more difficult to work with? I mean, you've worked for Ducati. Well, they? they're very passionate. And I always enjoy chatting with the Ducati boys in the paddock, but they can have some extremely high highs and really low lows. I've seen them sometimes, you know, at the back of the garage, if they haven't had a good day. And they really are low, the uh, the Italians sometimes, mm.
2: because Scott doesn't believe in his engineers that they are, are are capable of giving him what he wants. That's why this relationship's broke down, essentially but I noticed when I saw Johnny Ray talking to Perariba at every single post-race uh, uh, incident in the Park Fermi, yeah. right? what happens is Perariba tells Johnny what the problems are and what we're going to do to the bike for the ideas for the next race before Johnny's even said anything. Yeah. Because Pereriba's an ex-racer, a fast one, Yeah, right? And he's watched that bike closely on telly and he can see the suspension problems, he can see the force on the front, he can see it losing the front, right? He he knows, before Johnny's even said a thing, what Pereriba needs to do to that bike to improve it. Whereas Scott, the chief engineer, because he's not really ridden before, he has to listen to Scott go on and on and on about the problems that he's got before he makes a, uh, a collective um, choice, an understanding of what that, that information is. Yeah. And then he goes to the computer to see if it backs it up with the telemetry. Then he makes a decision on it. Phew. Big difference.
1: So Johnny then, Big difference. By the and, time... and the
2: speed, of the, sorry, Greg, the process
1: and the speed yeah. of improving things. Yes. Because yeah, there's Johnny's not Johnny's much got. time, is there? It's not like there's Friday. There's only two practice sessions. There's not much time, you know, you're only going to come in the pits. You probably have three or four exits, don't yeah. you? F- four stints on yeah. track. Big advantage. You'd... Yeah. So Johnny then, James, by the time he's got to Charlie with the Eurosport microphone, or Anthony or Roman with the Dorner microphone, he's already sort of in his mind, thinking ahead to the next race. He's up on the podium. And he already knows P- Pera's got it covered to a mm. certain extent. His mindset must be free. Yeah, exactly, mate. Completely different. Exactly. And he hasn't even got back to the garage Exactly. Yet.
2: And, and and he doesn't need to worry. Because if you're not really on the pace and you're struggling and, and you've just lost out and you, you're not winning, but you're on the podium, but you're not winning, right? The, the calculations that are going through your head to try and find those two tenths a lap are unbelievably ridiculous when your adrenaline's pumping straight through your veins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like you say, perariba has got it sorted. The calmness and, and, and how uh, relaxed Johnny would be with the comfort that his team already knows what the issues are. Don't worry about it, mate. You get your leathers off. Go and have a shower. We'll get this sorted for you, pal. Yeah. Compared to Scott, yeah. he's constantly thinking, how can I tell my engineers in a more clear way, better way of how, what I want? It's, it's, a, it's a real, Honestly, psychologically, it's a massive advantage.
1: We saw this after the Supersport race on Saturday, didn't we? Steve Odendahl was chatting with his mechanic, but then the mechanic, that was in English, of course, the mechanic had to relay, translate to Italian to Fabio Evangelista, yeah. the team boss. Yeah. Um, That's another it, middleman. Another middleman, and it's obviously, like you said in the commentary on Saturday, when we were live on the Eurosport app at the time. Highlights available on the app, by the way, and uh, on the programmes coming up over the next few days before Magnicore. But, um, yeah, you might have things lost in translation. It's not just that, is it? It's just the time it takes as well to translate.
2: How direct... The line of communication of improving that motorcycle where Perariba knows what's wrong with that bike before Johnny even says anything. Of course, Perariba will listen to Johnny. But I'm sure 90% of the time, all Johnny does is back up what Per is already thinking. Telepathy. Yeah. Okay, that's priceless.
1: Incredible, isn't it? Okay, well, just before we sign off, let's have a little bit of fun. As I say, by the time this goes out, I'm sure we may have... Well, not necessarily, but we probably would have had some press releases about rider announcements for next year. Um... There's no point going through the whole grid. But Honda. Let's just finish on Honda. Because we've spoken about pretty much all the other manufacturers. Who would you want on the Honda? If you were in Leon Cameo shoes and Geordie, um care who works alongside him, who used to work at Australia Galithia Moto 3, and the Japanese, it's as Leon said to Charlie this weekend, it's not just Leon making the decision. Who would you want on that Honda? Because I guess you need someone fairly experienced to develop the bike, but you've got Lequona's name around, Davis, Sykes, um, there's not too many others around, are there? I'd want Johnny Ray in top, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why don't they go for them then? Why can't they offer Jonathan Ray It's HRC? Why can't they offer him massive money and bring him over?
2: Because Johnny Ray, six times world champion with Kawasaki, with Pera relationship that we've just been talking about. And, you know, uh, you've got to walk in, you know, with what? Double? Treble? Yeah, because Johnny would want to bring Pera with him,
1: wouldn't he? he would want to bring all those guys, or at no, least some of them. You not Johnny's
2: think? intelligent enough to know that his riding ability, even with Perry, on that bike, is not going to be as easy a gig to win championships. And, mm. um, you know, we, we've seen it in the past where riders go to different manufacturers. Even the best, even one of the best, Valentino Rossi, going to Ducati, you know. You know he thought if he could take Jeremy Burgess, he'd be able to sort it out.
1: How could you lure uh, Jonathan Rowe? Because when he left Honda to join Kawasaki... I'm not going to say they were paying him half but it was a significant pay cut from what you hear around the paddock. I'm sure he's recouped it very well now and deservedly so with bonus money and sponsorship interest and the salary itself. But they'd have to, I mean even even if Honda came to Johnny Ray James and said we'll pay you I don't know five times more whatever that might be do you think he'd go? It's not surely just yes. about the money,
2: is Maybe it? Maybe in a year or two, you know, because I think that one of the reasons why got, uh, Johnny's stopped with Kawasaki mm. is because he's wanted to still win races in World Superbikes to keep him in right in the shot window of MotoGP, right?
1: Really? So do yeah. you reckon that Patrona stuff, you know, there was some real... Of course. You know, yeah. You, it you wasn't can't, just Johnny's management. You can't be a six times world champion without anybody sniffing around. You know, no, you can, I mean, they, they'd be stupid, wouldn't they? So, People like Petronas I, to not consider Jonathan clear, Race. Completely,
2: surely. completely. But, yeah. uh, you know, again, no track knowledge about what? Six, seven tracks in MotoGP? I know that I've been. I've done it. To, to, to go out there of pit lane and you've got 45 minutes to get up to speed against Valentino and all the rest of the boys and you don't even know where the first corner's left or right. It's a tough gig. And the, the, the team managers know that. And I think that's one Achilles heel that superbike riders have is just the track knowledge. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, Kawasaki and Johnny's relationship is kept there because he knows he can still win, and if he's winning, the confidence is high, and he's right in the shot window of MotoGP. He, he wasn't ready to take a paycheck off anybody else and risk being fourth in World Superbikes because he knows that would have definitely slammed the foot door yes, in his face. Yes, that's true, of course. So, yeah. so he might do another couple of years, and then when he when his MotoGP career has definitely sailed off, then he might want a new challenge for his life in world superbikes with somebody else for a lot of money but at the point I think over the last six years he wanted to keep himself right in the shop window
1: so for how many years now just before we sign off let's just um, we shouldn't assume anything it's dangerous to assume you never should should you but let's just say for the sake of the argument Jonathan Ray keeps winning world superbike titles which is pretty likely you'd say how long does he still have for a shot at MotoGP? Is that still a, a chance? And how many more years do you think he has to be able to do that?
2: I, I think this year is a cutoff. You know, he's, what, 34 now? I think yeah. this I think this year is a cutoff. And, um, and also, you know, he's now the greatest superbike rider ever um, by two championships, comp, you know, uh, the closest being Carl Fogarty, obviously with four. And if he wins this season, it'll be seven. Um, and... I think with his age now, I think that the, the the ship is is it, it has sailed and just got out 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 of sight. But um, that's not that's that's not you know any any way to tarnish um, Johnny Ray's um, achievements whatsoever. Because we saw him on the factory Honda, didn't we, in GPs for the one-off races at Misano, and he qualified six, I think it was, which is not easy. And you know, he, he Johnny Ray is one of the best riders the UK has ever ever produced. And that will be what it's all about at the end of his career. Yeah. And he will be very, very respected. And I know from my two trophies at home, you can, you can keep them all day long. But the respect I have in the industry from bikers, because of the effort that I put in and, 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 and the achievements that I did, it's the respect that Johnny will have for the rest of his life, regardless of whether he went to MotoGP or not.
1: Because some people say, oh, he's never going to be a legend because he's not winning MotoGP. Surely you don't subscribe to that, do you?
2: Oh, legends is, uh, you know, uh, legends in, you know, it's, it's it's a big word, isn't it? But yeah. I tell you what, um, Johnny has absolutely dedicated his life to to motorcycle racing, and uh, he's he's reaped the rewards from his efforts and any sportsman in this ta- in this pl- on this planet that gives as much effort as Johnny Ray, you will do very, very well. And all the rewards that Johnny's had from motorcycle racing are deserved because of the dedication that he's had to this sport.
1: And he's still riding better than he's ever ridden, isn't he? Everyone said in 19, that was probably his best title ever because of the way he had to bounce back. And I think you'd probably say if he wins 21 this year, it will be even better than that because he doesn't have the fastest bike in his straight line. He's not winning all the races. He's almost crashing and saving it. He's riding better than he's
2: ever ridden before. He is. He has not had the fastest bike since 2019, has he? Since that V4 came out with Bautisti. It was ridiculous, wasn't it? And yeah, like, you know. Hats off to him. is is the, the superbuses have kind of run out for him because he's six times world champion. If he's seven times world champion, you'd have to say he's got in his mind of being ever the first time, in, you know, oh, well, in super of like, I get getting the ten championships. <laughs> I know we've got Angol Nieto and uh, uh, was it Agostini just yeah. just with uh, more than ten world championships. Yeah, in Rossi's on
1: nine, of course. Yeah,
2: so it's it's that's something I'll be that'll be yeah uh, striving for. And I, you know, I wouldn't bet against it because I was racing against a forty-year-old Troy Bayliss who was a world champion. I was racing against a forty or Max Biaggi, who was a world champion, at 40. He's got another six years, so you don't need to do uh, too many maths to realise that's 12, possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in and
1: seven is a big one. I mean, all the guys you have just mentioned in bike racing, but you think of Sebastian Loeb in rallying, Schumacher, obviously, yep. did seven. Lewis yep. Hamilton's... You know, yep. seven... For some reason is a really big number in motor racing
2: oh, uh, barry sheen let's uh let's get all the number sevens actually Absolutely, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, an incredible achievement i can only dream of uh of having so many trophies in my house compared to johnny but i like i've got two it's symmetrical and that suits my libras
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're as bad as me you're as bad as me we're back then in a couple of weeks for uh magnicor you are with us aren't you james for the rest of the season whether you're in the commentary box with myself. Uh Barcelona you'll be in the studio though I with me. So
2: yeah, I thought my face was just for radio these days, but I mean I'm I'm going to be in the studio for Catalonia <laughs> yeah. so I'm looking forward to that.
1: And what you got lined up between now and Magnicore anything exciting?
2: Uh no, you've caught me off guard there. I've got no idea what happened. When you're commentating on the racing all day and you're so into it, I've got no idea what I don't even know what date it is tomorrow. I know you lose track
1: of things, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much James. That's sort the Greg. situation is with the rider market. By the time we get to Magnicore, podcast will be back next week. Not quite sure who's going to be on it yet, but we'll get that sorted. Uh, I'll see you soon. And thanks for the uh, half of the chocolate bar as well.
2: (laughs) My pleasure. Cheers, guys.
0: (laughs) Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.